everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of Anatomy of Tone. I'm going to make a little bit of a departure this week and end up dedicating the episode to what I feel is a, a pretty important but broad topic when it comes to playing live in modern times. I've always been a proponent of real amplifiers on stage and using stage monitor wedges or side fills to be able to hear the rest of the band. I just like the often the natural reflections of the room sound and feeling like I'm in the moment. But things have been changing. Uh, the rooms that you're playing in, the size and capacity of rooms have been changing. There's a number of different reasons why we're starting to end up in an era that isn't as friendly for stage monitors and using amps on stage. And I've been holding out for as long as I feel like I could with using amps because I've carefully selected the amplifiers I use and really respond to each amplifier in its own way and feel like I attach myself to the amplifier as being an instrument. And I hadn't really bonded with many modelers. I've tried a number over the years, everything from modeling plugins for recording from UAD to various like Fractal and other devices. Sans amp when they came out, you name it. I've I've tried most of them, and sometimes in the studio I use a Universal Audio Aux, which is a speaker cab simulator. So I'm still using my real amplifiers, and I'm using an Ampeat 88S amp switcher to switch between the various amps I have. So if I want to use my Marshall head, I can just switch that on the Ampeat and match it with a cabinet, or send it right to the aux. It allows me to route things in different places. And I'm really happy with this setup in my studio, because I could still have access to the speakers if I want through the switching, or I could just route it right to the aux. So I have multiple options for recording at late night, or if I want to record something in the daytime. And, and, and it varies on the projects so some projects I just need to put something out the door really quick and so I use the aux a lot but there are certain projects I'm making records with artists such as like Abby Ahmed I always like to use real amps we like to capture the unique character of each room that we're in and often put multiple microphones in the cabinet and sculpt our own tone so there are definitely a couple of different angles that I even approach with uh, dealing with a recording guitar. Live guitar has almost always been through an amplifier. Over the past uh, four or five years, I've had to use in-ears on a couple of gigs uh, because that's what the gig required. That was just how they were running sound and I'd have to show up and use a set of uh, in-ear monitors that they had, uh, which it takes a little bit to get used to at first because you're not used to hearing yourself that clearly. I will say I was really surprised the first time that happened because I, I was the first time I ever clearly heard the harmony singers or could hear everybody in the band what they were playing. Usually when you're on stage, you hear just a little bit from all the other instrumentalists on the stage. You tend to hear a lot of drums and the next instrument that you're close to that has an amplifier. So if it's a bass or another guitar, you tend to hear most of them. So the idea of having things balanced or to balance them in any way you like is, uh, is an interesting experience because uh, it's can be like listening to a record, but it's live. It could be a little off-putting at first because you're not used to hearing yourself in that kind of detail. It's also great because it keeps the volume down, which is why a lot of sound crew and bands like using it. This brings up a really interesting point about modern times and more people switching to that setup. So stage monitors, side fills, they add a lot of extra blurriness and sound to a performance 
they add noise essentially if you want to think about that or it's like they clutter into a mix because you're you're getting the sounds reflecting off the back wall the mariners monitors are pouring or the side fills are just filling in some often like very muddy frequencies that make it hard to make the band more audible when they're playing so when everybody's on in-ears not only do they not have to worry about feedback because you're not going to feedback with a monitor it also makes it a little cleaner for them to mix in front of the house you know the thing that's interesting about this for smaller rooms or smaller rooms are really difficult to do sound in it's really hard to find a balance of where the band is playing versus whether it'll sound good out front trying to get the vocals balanced and i've always still just dealt with guitar amplifiers but a lot of times i'm feeling that after i walk away that well maybe the volume was right for me wasn't right for the front of the house but then i couldn't hear myself enough or could get my instrument the sound away the way i wanted to sound a lot of challenges because a lot of times nowadays more and more people are playing in smaller rooms where you're actually setting the volume of, of your instrument and the way it's being heard in a mix as opposed to being in a larger theater or a festival type setting where you can push the amp and then the audience isn't really going to so, so much hear the, the live sound from your amp they're going to hear it coming through the pa in those cases you have a lot more flexibility of where you could push your amp but in the smaller rooms, you can't really do that so much. So, uh, uh, more and more people have been switching to in ears. I was still kind of reluctant to do this for a number of reasons. One of them being fear of lack of control. It's often hard to communicate with the sound person about monitors. One time is there's not much time to get a monitor mix so to make sure that you're hearing yourself enough versus the rest of the band. It can be very difficult. So having an amp on stage just means immediate way that I can make sure that I can always hear myself for what I need to for on a gig to make sure that I can execute my job. So I've often relied on it that way. Uh, sometimes you show up to a gig and people have an in-ear monitor system where they have an iPad or you can connect to your iPhone and a mixer shows up and on that mixer you have the capability of adjusting your own headphone mix which is really wonderful because as long as everything is gain staged properly levels are set and you don't adjust your mix too much before all the levels are set then you're going to be pretty ready to go uh, pretty quickly so you just can pull up the, the the mix on the iPad and you can just adjust things. I need more drums, I need less vocal, I need this. And you can get your own mix happening, which is the best case scenario and my favorite way to work in these situations because then it's up to you to set your mix. You can do it on the fly and adjust as the set is going on because it'll be right in front of you. And it could really be a wonderful experience if, if you have this capability. And it's not a huge bind to do this. There's a lot of digital boards that you can get that will allow you to do just this thing, connect with a, a wireless device such as an iPad and be able to tweak on the fly. Not all venues have that though. I did an event last night and the sound crew just showed up and they had packs for everybody. And we were told to bring our in-ear buds, but they didn't have an iPad app. And it was a little frustrating to get the balance right. I am. It was a lot of back and forth with the sound crew with like a 10 piece or 11 piece band. I can't remember. It was a, a little, took some time to get the balance right, which usually for me is my instrument a little louder than the rest of the band. So in these situations, one thing I learned about recently 
is there's a couple of ways that we can get around this. And also in this episode, I want to talk about what I'm using to get my signal in direct for this type of setup. Let's start first with the idea of the monitoring. So if we're talking about going ampless, then immediately it's uh, there's concerns about hearing yourself because then you're kind of like the keyboard player that runs DI that nobody could ever hear on stage. I always in the past was very frustrated when keyboard players didn't have an amp because I can't hear them half the time. It's a, Certain registers, what they were playing would get lost. Didn't know what they were playing or what I was stepping on or where to give room or where they were giving room for me. So the idea of no amplifier is initially a bit concerning for me. There's a couple of devices on the market now that allow for more control in these situations when, say, you're just given a line, maybe it's a, a line out from the monitors and, and you have to deal with somebody else setting your mixes. Rolls makes a device called a personal monitor amp. It's PM55P is the model. What this does is it allows you to blend a mic input with a monitor input. Now here's what I could do in a scenario. I didn't take this last night because I thought, well, this event actually was at Carnegie Hall and I thought they should be really on top of this. But uh, they ended up running it in a way that I wish that I had this device with me what it does is it allows you to take let's say let's say you are let's start with using a real amp on stage and not being able to hear yourself properly which is what happens to a lot of guitar players we end up turning up louder and louder and then everybody's barking at us the sound person's barking at us to turn down but yet we can't hear ourselves in that so here's the solution is that the microphone that you have in your in front of your guitar amp this box this uh, PM 55P personal monitor amp will allow you to split the mic signal. So you take the mic signal that's coming from the microphone in front of the guitar amp or bass or whatever it is you're using. You can send it into the PM 55P. And what it does is it then gives you a through output. So then you give the through output to the sound person. They're going to want to take that and put it in the PA. But it's also taking a feed of that microphone and putting it into this personal monitor amp. Now what I can do is I can take the line from that would be going to my floor monitor in front of me and I can plug it into the monitor input that is also on the PM55P, the personal monitor amp. Now what this does is I'm able to blend the guitar amplifier with the microphone right in front of me because this does, again, it has a preamplifier in it. And I could blend that with the monitor level. So that means that I could get a basic monitor level going for the rest of the band. I find that with in-ears, if I can get everybody somewhat balanced, it doesn't take that much work and I'm fine. I find most of the wrangling comes with the band versus my solo instrument, whatever I'm playing. I always need what I'm playing just to be a little louder. So a little easier to get everything just somewhat balanced and then be able to adjust the ratio of, of the rest of the mix to my guitar mix. Now, this allows me to do that because I took a, a microphone, a line from the microphone right from the guitar amplifier. So I can adjust my mic level up and I can adjust my monitor level and I can, I can work with the balance of that. Now, one thing I like about the PM55P is that it does have a built-in limiter in it. You can turn it on and off. I leave it on 
just because in case something really loud, a pop happens or something anywhere happens, I'm not going to blow my ears out. You just want to have something on, whether you're using a digital board, always have some sort of hard limiter, something on each of the channels that are going out to anybody's headphone output, just so you make sure that you're protecting from anything really surprising anybody too loud. Now, I just always keep the limiter on the rolls, the PM55P, and then I just blend my two levels. So if I get the guitar amp level to where it sounds good on stage, I'm not overbearing anybody else in the band, but it's it's healthy. Often then, I still need a little more of myself. This is where I'm going to use the in-ears. I'm going to connect them because there's, there's two different types of headphone jacks on the PM55P rolls. I plug, I could plug in my headphones into there and then I can adjust my levels and get a little bit more of myself and then still hear the band mix coming from the monitors or often I can hear at least drums if I'm close enough to them unless we're on a festival stage where we're far apart and a lot of clubs I stand close to the drums and I can hear the drums without needing to put them in the mix. Um, and then I can just make those adjustments and hear just a little bit more of myself. And wearing the in-ears allows me to keep my headphone volume lower than where I'd be keeping monitors. And I always wear earplugs on stage when I'm not using in-ears, which I recommend you doing that as well. I think that's just a healthy practice. Get molds made for yourself and just wear earplugs all the time if you're not going to go about routes of, um, of using in-ears, which, by the way, you can also get molds made. This is a, a pretty powerful device. This rolls allows me to run a nine volt or it does come with its included power supply, which is nice. You don't have to buy extra. I really like this because this ensures no matter what environment I'm in, if we're fighting the room, some rooms are really bright and the room carries a lot more out in front of you than it does on the stage. So you'll be playing and it might not seem very loud to you on stage, but it's really resonating in the house and you have to play at a level that it just doesn't sound comfortable for you, but it's right for the room. So, that's where having this headphone app and Behringer makes one as well. I'm not sure what the differences are. I like the rolls. It's made really well. It's made in the USA. feel like it's probably a little bit of a more robust piece of gear than the Behringer, which their stuff is functional and some of it sounds good, but it's uh, it tends to be made a little bit cheaper. I feel like this I can actually take out in the road and, and would trust it working more. So this is an important part of my tool now. So sometimes if I'm running ears and what I would have preferred to have done last night as an example is just taken their monitor feed and plugged my guitar feed into the Rolls PM55P and just adjusted it. It would have made it a lot faster and easier for me to navigate the mix last night than being rushed because the sound crew was running late. I have no idea what was going on last night, but I showed up there, which should have been pretty easy to plug in with my pedal board and roll. And we had like 20 minutes till we started playing and they were still like trying to figure out in-ear packs and, and everything. And it was just kind of a, a, a mess professionally. So that should have been really easy, but it wasn't. And having this would have made it a lot easier dealing with a 10 or 11 piece band. So I recommend that musicians become hip to this because it's just a problem for all of us and we're always playing the volume more a lot of times for us to hear ourselves and sometimes i know it's 
to get the amp or whatever piece of gear we're using to sound a certain way. And sometimes we just can't achieve those volumes because of just the reality of what we're playing in these days. Uh, but it isn't always just about pushing the gear to its, its limit or to the point where it's its sweet spot. A lot of times it is about us hearing ourselves and we just often just feel that we can't and it's already way too loud. So check this out. Now, in conjunction with doing this, I decided to do something I thought I would never do as I was mentioning my dislike for amp sims anything of that nature. I've, I've tried them. I've been open-minded. I've always been disappointed. I hated them. So I just have been refusing to use them. Cabs have become so expensive in New York City. I think everywhere they probably have gone up since the pandemic. But everything has become so expensive. It's not for me in New York City, it's not cost-effective for me to take a cab back and forth to a gig with an amplifier because then I end up not making that much money and that amount of money for me for a lot of gigs would almost be a hundred dollars which is groceries for a couple of days i used to say it's groceries for a week but i don't really feel like that's the case anymore either eggs are like almost 10 bucks right so uh i'm trying to maximize the amount of money that i make from a gig it's not practical for me to take an amp so if there's a gig that is really special to me artistically yeah, I'm going to try to take an amplifier and maybe sometimes they'll have a backline amp. My preference was always still to take one of my own amps, like my Headstrong Little King or my Victoria 35-115. Those were my two main amps I would take to a gig. And a smaller gig, a quiet gig, I would always take my Victoria 518 uh, to Tweet Champ. Even taking that now is not very practical for a lot of situations. So I had to sort of look at life in 2023 and find some sort of compromise, I think, in order to be able to exist in, in the contemporary world and, and financial structure of our line of work as musicians and, and what the, uh, what, what, in other words, how much are gigs paying? How much does it cost to move gear to a gig? And what's, what's the, the gain? What's the profit from it? That led me to a reality that I had to find another solution some for certain gigs. And that led me to revisit the Strymon Iridium. I wrote an article on the Strymon Iridium on my blog, Anatomy of Guitar Tone, a couple of years ago. And the blog wasn't necessarily geared towards the Iridium. It was more towards the idea of using amp sims in a live situation for with monitors and stuff and and i stand by some of that information as stated at the time because it was relevant at the time but some things have changed a lot and so my concern at the time and my biggest criticism of the iridium was going and having a horrible monitor set up at a gig and then you're not going to be able to hear yourself because one of the biggest things i said it earlier a million times but the idea is that we use amplifiers to make sure we can hear ourselves is the biggest thing and of course for tone and response as well. But if we can't hear ourselves, how are we gonna play with any sort of finesse? So monitoring is the biggest thing about having an amplifier. So uh, how do you do that? Cause I would show up to so many gigs and there'd be not a monitor for me, or if there was a monitor for me, it was a horrible monitor. And the monitor situation was always pretty chaotic. And a lot of times I just, I just need to make sure I hear myself, but how do you do that with certain PA setups? It seemed like a nightmare. So at that time, having the availability to have a personal monitor system didn't seem very feasible. So it wasn't never into the idea of using amp sims in a live situation 
the biggest factor being that I just couldn't trust that I would be able to hear myself at all. Sometimes I've taken an underpowered amp by accident to a gig. I didn't know how loud a band was going to be. And I showed up with maybe like a, a Vox AC 15 and I'd have it dimed and I'm still getting lost in the mix. And so I, even with experiences like that, how, how am I going to trust this amp sim, which has no speaker at all? Well, things have changed. And I think the addition of now having this Rolls PM55P is a great option. And so I decided to revamp or revisit the Strymon Iridium and just, I don't know, consider how I can use this in a live setting where it's obviously not practical for me to take an amp. Well, I ordered one and uh, I have to say, I feel like the technology has come some way. I feel like this is the most realistic I've heard an amp simulator. They've come pretty close. It definitely really gets the essence of each of the amplifiers that it's modeling. So the, the black panel fenders, like the Deluxe, I believe is the one that mainly it models with three different cabs. Then we have a Vox AC30. Then we have a Marshall Plexi. And if I switch between them and I mess around with the cabs, like I feel like they, yeah, they're pretty good representations. And not only that, but I feel like they have a pretty good dynamic range. It was one of my big gripes a lot of times. Same thing with a lot of plugins. My gripes with them were they just lacked a touch sensitivity. And there was always something funky that happened in the high end. I could always tell that it was an amp sim and I would always struggle with them in the mix and just couldn't get them to sit right. They didn't have enough dimension around them. They were two dimensional as opposed to three dimensional. I must say, I feel like Strymon has really figured it out with this pedal because it has the essence and the air and the feel a lot of, of how amplifiers do. And that doesn't mean I'm throwing out my amplifiers. I still want times where I could record a unique amplifier in a unique room. In other words, nobody's going to be able to replicate that exact sound per se because it's me playing, which is you as an individual player is probably the most important thing is it sounding like you. But then there's also the guitar I have and the amplifier in the room I'm recording in with the gear I have. So the hopes that the recording I make is going to have an identity on its own, which is usually what I'm striving for on artistic records that I'm making. I don't always need to have that for certain gigs and that's okay. So I don't always need to make sure that I have the specific amp and, and my unique sound is coming through because guess what? Sometimes it's not coming through anyway because I have to play the amp and levels that I wouldn't be for a particular sound I was using. So some of that stuff on some of these gigs gets thrown out the window anyway. So the idea of that amp impacting that performance in a certain way it isn't happening the way that we think in certain situations. So I've come to terms with the idea of using an amp in certain situations and the Strymon Iridium and others and choosing them. Now the Iridium uh, has a couple of cool features on it I wanted to test in a live setting. One of them being it has a headphone jack out, which intrigued me because I wanted to understand if I could just run a headphone in my in-ears right into the pedal live and use it without any other device and make sure I could just always hear myself more no matter where that guitar signal is going, meaning not relying on somebody else to set up my in-ears. Well, it um it sounds really good plugged straight into the, the Iridium actually. The thing about it is that it's also tied to the output of the pedal. And sometimes, like last night at Carnegie Hall, 
they wanted more output from me. And that output level coming from the iridium would have been uh, higher than I would have liked it in my in-ears. So being very careful about the volume, I don't want to blow out my ears. So the fact that they're paired together is a little bit of a drag. To look at the manual, I don't think I saw anything in there about being able to independently adjust them. I'll have to give it another look just to double check, but that definitely was not clear. And if it is, it's not super easily adjustable on the fly. So to me, that maybe was a maybe missed opportunity to really think about the guitarist being able to, to patch into their pedal and use it in a live situation. I think they saw that so much as being a usage of that headphone output. I think they thought at home for practice, but that would be a really great feature if they were independent so that you can just use it as an emergency feed on a gig so you can hear yourself. But what I do is I just now, I turn up the, the output volume all the way so the sound crew gets enough volume. And for me, just on a side note of that, I found at noon was plenty enough volume in my studio when I'm using API 312 preamps. I mean, I could have been back before 12 and it would have been plenty of signals. So I'm not sure what mixing board or preamps they were using, but I feel like they, I don't know why they didn't have enough signal. It seems like their preamplifier should have been able to boost that up. Regardless, whatever, just saying that that reason that they might not have enough signal at the front of house is a reason why having the headphone out on the iridium and the, the uh, volume knob of the iridium attached isn't um, the greatest idea. The deal with that, that's why I have the Rolls PM55P because I come out of the um, output of the, the guitar and I can adjust it. Now I can still run it out of the headphone out and in and, and if they need more volume at the front of house, I could just turn my monitor level down on the rolls. So now I have a way to counteract the volume if it keeps going up. So it could be a little tricky the way it works, but you just have to think of it. The Iridium sends a signal to the rolls and then you can adjust from there. So if you have to turn the Iridium up, you could turn the rolls down. Really works great for that because now if I need to, I could just tie into the Iridium and I have control over it plus send sound to the front of the house. This was an important feature for me as opposed to looking at some of the UAD new pedals that they have that are modeling certain amplifiers. I also like that this one had three options in it. I really like Marshalls a lot and like Voxes a lot and the Blackface amp. It just really seemed to give me some options on some gigs. It changes what what amp I would use on a gig, and normally I would I would pair an amp with a gig and just use maybe a couple of pedals in conjunction with that amp to slightly vary it. But I tend to stick with a tone per gig. Last night's gig, I switched between the Marshall and the Black Panel Fenders. That those were my two go tos. I saved a favorite and I just swapped back and forth between them depending on the song. And that probably will be how it is on most of the gigs, but some gigs I might just save two different sounds from a Marshall. Maybe it's sort of hotter and one that's more lightly overdriven. So I have uh, a little bit of variance on the same tone. Different ways you can use it. Uh, the cabinets, I liked all the cabinets. I found myself, uh, I didn't switch around on the gig. I, I thought about the gig beforehand. I got my sounds at home and then I switched around the, uh, the, the cabinets only at home and then I left it on the gig. I didn't end up switching any cabinets or doing very little adjustments, including with EQ on the gig. Sometimes you might have to do a little EQ when you tie into somebody else's headphone system and you, in your, in your ears, you might get it back and whatever the system they're using might be a little bright or something. So I might have to 
take away a little treble or do something in that nature. But in theory, you could set your pedal up at home. I did. I put a piece of console tape on there and marked out in Sharpie where all the knobs were supposed to go for all the pedals before the gig. And then when I got to the gig, I just made sure they didn't get bumped in the pedal board bag. And then I just went, plugged in and was ready to go. Everything pretty much held up as I expected at home, which is another thing worth talking about that doesn't happen with real amps all the time. Often, if I try to get a sound going at home for amplifiers, I get my gain staging set a certain way, and then I get on the gig, and my pedals start reacting differently because I either have to play louder or quieter than I was playing in my apartment. It could go in either direction, and playing quieter means less saturation from the amplifier, which means the volumes of some of your effects, like delay, reverb, might appear to be a little quieter. And if the signal is louder, then my delay and reverbs, if they're before the preamp, using a lightly pushed amp, then the volumes of those are gonna get heightened and raised up a little bit just because of the saturation and compression that are happening on the amplifier. Sometimes it's a subtle difference, but there are other times where this has actually created problems for me and I have to look at my signal chain, I have to make adjustments because either those elements are, are maybe coming out too pronounced or underpronounced. So there are tweaks that have to happen on the gigs. Sometimes I never really end up happy in the end because I had such a good sound going in the apartment. This is just a reality of playing live sometimes and, and using your speaker setup as a monitor system or as a, a device to deliver sound to the people in the audience that so you have to adjust so that they can hear you or not hear you too much. The Iridium allowed me to show up on the gig with all my pedals gain staged and the balance is set and pretty much held up. I don't think I changed any of the like effect or mix levels of any of the delays or uh, reverbs on my sound, which is rare for a gig like that because sometimes I'm, I'm adjusting several times in the gig to, to figure out what's working with the setup for that room. So that was nice. And one thing I also appreciated was there are some fuzz pedals, actually most fuzz pedals, I prefer to run into a slightly overdriven amp. And I was able to have a setup set so that the amp was fairly clean, which was my black panel sound. And then for my fuzz sounds, I had like a Marshall setup that was a little throatier and more mid-range to it was a little pushing a little harder, which then I would use the Seeker Electric Effects MK1 Tone Bender, or I was using the Maxon SD9 Sonic, what's the model that is? The Sonic Distortion SD9. It's a grainier version and a little less mid-range push version of their OD9, which is like the Tube Screamer. This isn't quite as compressed as the Tube Screamer either, but it's a really nice distortion pedal. I was able to get my gain staging right with that because I also, well, as I was getting sounds for the gig, I was watching my meters on my API preamp. So I plugged in direct through the Iridium and each of the sounds I would watch the meters with. So if I put, first of all, just with the Iridium, if I put the Marshall channel on, I'd set the output volume and then I'd adjust that against the black panel channel and then I would see when they're truly balanced because sound is deceiving. Sometimes when the Marshall was in, it had much more low end push. I thought it was louder than the Fender, but it wasn't. I was just hearing more compression and more low end, but it wasn't actually lighting up the meters in the same way. So your ears can deceive you when you gain staging sometimes. Now, when you're in the audience, if it's not gain staged correctly, then what happens? You kick on a pedal that's not gain staged properly and you think it's loud, but then it disappears to the audience. So checking the levels using, uh, I was using just the mic preamp that had an LED on it. 
to check my levels, but checking them before the gig. And in this particular setup, they were able to remain the same, which was, I think, a real benefit to having to do like a throw and go gig. This was not a situation where there was a lot of time to get comfortable and everybody to get their tweaks in for the headphone mixes. It was kind of like, you're here, set up, play, go now. Are you ready yet? You know, that kind of situation. So uh, having things ready to go as much as possible with as few uh, variables is best. And I'm trying to narrow the vari variables in these situations. I don't want too many things to tweak. I don't take duplicate modulation pedals and make a decision on a modulation pedal. Like, okay, I'm going to use a chorus for this gig. No, I'm going to use a, a flanger for this gig. So I tend not to have both or chorus and tremolo or I, I, on the same pedal board because I'm trying to, to travel light also. And I'm just going to pick one, which I can get away with it as much as I can with it. So that's kind of my approach with using it. And it actually ended up working out pretty well. Uh, this is my first time using the Iridium on a gig as opposed to just trying it out in the past. My comments, I think, are, uh, I like it. I think playing with in-ears, it takes just a little bit to get used to the way that your guitar amp sounds. It sounds like the mic is right in front of it, and playing live, we often have a bit of a different perspective of our amps because they're usually hitting our ankles, or even if they're ankled up a little bit, did I just say ankled up? <laughs> ankled up a little bit, then they're hitting like our back, and neither one of them are our ears unless you a person that somehow magically has ears in your back. So it means that we're hearing our amplifiers with a lot of the high end rolled off. It's almost like there's a, a filter on it that's, a, that's a, a low pass filter happening. And we don't hear the full frequency of the guitar amp, which is why sometimes guitar players end up with a really bright signal and they don't know it's that bright, but the audience is just like, whoa, right? So it's too much. I always make sure I get in front of the amplifier on a gig and I hear what the audience is hearing. And, uh, I don't just set my sound by standing above the amplifier. I want to be in front of it and hear what people are hearing because you'll be surprised. So it's surprising with the Iridium because you hear a full range guitar. You hear the, the mids and the highs and lows. It's very hi-fi sounding. And I think as wonderful as that is, it can take a little bit to get used to. Uh, I like the Iridium. I was able to add a little room sound to it and I found that that helped. The Iridium has like, actually, I think one of my favorite room sounds of, of, uh, of any of the pedals I've used. It's pretty flattering. It's not super bright. The room sound on the UAD Aux is a little brighter and sometimes I don't like it as much, but the, um, the Strymon uh, Iridium has a much warmer sound to the room tone. Uh, sometimes I'll tie that in just to give a little more space and sometimes it feels like it softens the sound a little bit when it's so hi-fi. And I find that working a lot. I mean, sometimes I say it like 9, 10, 9 to noon, it depends. But uh, often at least on 9 or 10. It takes a bit to get used to. One thing you'll notice is that you end up playing a lot quieter. I just don't need the volume where I would need it with a real amplifier. It doesn't, this SPLs aren't nearly as loud. Now I, I do miss feeling the vibration. That's one of my favorite things about playing with an amplifier. It's not always volume I care about. I care about feeling the sound. That doesn't happen. In some ways, it feels like more like you're in a recording studio. I've been a studio rat so long. That doesn't bother me, but I love the feel of an amp on stage when it's cooking. You feel this air moving, and it's just a sense of power that uh, that is addictive to be honest with you it 
feels pretty awesome. But coming to terms with reality, that just can't happen all the time anymore. So you just can't do it in certain environments. And so it doesn't make sense to be the dinosaur that's trying to uh, make it work that way when the times are changing around you. It doesn't mean that I don't take advantage of those opportunities when they come up. Not looking to completely replace them, but when the gig calls for it and make these tweaks now, it's allowed me to do more gigs because some gigs don't have backline. If they do, the ramp is all broken. This is the issue too. Like sometimes you might play a type of music. I, I play in this band called Silver Tooth Cactus, which is like a, a rock, hard rock kind of melody kind of thing uh, with very melodic vocals. And you know, it's some, it, it, it needs some girth behind the guitar parts. Definitely needs like that four by 12 cabinet, like of a, maybe an old JCM 800 cooking. It's got that kind of sound to it. It's got the weight of uh, ACDC, maybe some of the guitar, sometimes of like thrash, like metallic and stuff like that. But ha showing up and playing through a Blues Junior, something like that, it was just um, an amp that I, I could deal with on, on gigs a lot. I don't hate it. It's just that it doesn't have the same kind of low end. It's a much smaller sounding amp. It doesn't chug and it doesn't have the, the, the tight low end on it. So immediately like having a house amp that is a Blues Junior isn't really allowing me to get something that's appropriate for the gig. It's almost a bit of a slower sound when you think of the difference between a tight amp that distorts and plays modern metal and, and maybe like an amp that does like 60s things. Some of it is the slow speed of it, like a fuzz, like a, a fuzz face is pretty slow in its reaction. It's very gaudy and, uh, and smooth and sort of just like casual, right? But uh, like a, a DSL or some of the modern metal amps are very tight and very fast. So you could play really fast and it grabs every one of the single notes very cleanly and articulate. It's, uh, fuzz pedals tend to not do that as much. And there's a, a range of them in fuzz pedals, like the Seeker Electric Effects MK1 Tone Bender. MK1 Tone Benders have a little bit of faster attack to them than a fuzz face does. So you're going to find that with different fuzz circuits, like a big muff is very squishy and slow feeling. There's a variance even amongst those type of circuits and amplifiers. Certain amplifiers are squishier. Amps with tube rectifiers are squishier than amps with solid state rectifiers. So there's a number of elements here that uh, change the how quick the amp reacts to the attack of our pick. So the, uh, backline amp situation can can mess you up in situations where you need a specific sound for your gig sometimes and enter in all the other factors there it could be a bit much so the idea of showing up and if they have a small amp i can still use the marshall setting on the iridium to get that low end that i need and that tightness that i need is uh, better for the project because i can ensure that uh, get and the amp sound I need. This is why you see a lot of touring guitar players using devices such as this these days, because backline amps are always a bit of a gamble. You put something on your rider and say, I only want a Marshall JCM 800 and you show up and there's a DSL 2000 there. It's like, well, this is what we had, you know, or they get their lines crossed and you just end up with stuff that isn't what you ask for sometimes or is in various condition. Like sometimes some of them are, are partly broken and not working. And I've had two amps show up on a gig. Sometimes I used to often in my writers, I would, I would request two amps and one as a backup. And you'd be surprised how often one of them wasn't working well, or sometimes 
two of them weren't great. In soundtrack, I would always test both amps to see which one was better. So having the Iridium just ensures that even if you are going to use a real amp on a gig, having one in your bag, if the house amp or backline amp goes down, that you can finish the gig. That's a nice peace of mind to have. I can always finish the gig even if something bad happens. So uh, having the Iridium as a backup is a nice option if you're flying or just going out and doing gigs with artists and relying on backline amps. So you see, there's a lot of different reasons that maybe it's a good idea to embrace some of this technology. I'm a hardcore amp purist. I mean, I'm about as snobby as it gets with amps and embracing the technology because I think, obviously, musical gear are tools for us to be able to express ourselves. The environment's changed to which we can express ourselves and in order for us to be effective at telling our stories, sometimes we need to embrace some new technology in those situations. Like there's definitely gigs I play where rolling in a Marshall with a four by 12 cab is just not gonna work. And playing acoustic guitar in live situations, oh, that's one where years ago, I wish I had in-ears. It would just make that so much better because you can never hear an acoustic guitar live. It's like, why have it? There's any time I, I used to end up in a gig and people would be like, play acoustic guitar. Would just be like, why are you making me do this? Nobody's ever gonna hear. I'm At least I'm never gonna hear it. Maybe they heard it out front, but I can almost never hear it on stage it was just a, a void of sound and me just moving my fingers and that affects how you play dynamically you end up having to play harder than you naturally would your dynamic range isn't nearly as wide because you're needing to play harder to make sure that you feel like your volume comes through even if psychologically you could tell yourself it's coming through fine in the house to get your mind to accept that so that you instinctually don't just play harder because you can't hear yourself is impossible to do. If you can't hear yourself, you're always going to play too hard. If you hear yourself too much, you're always going to play a little quieter. Whether you try to or not, it's, just, it's, it's a psychological effect that happens to us. Two main ways I'm using the Iridium. One is as a backup, as we were just talking about, in case a backline amp gets weird or breaks down or there's no other option to play on the gig. Two is Amplus gigs where I want to have um, a minimal footprint to the Kemper and there's Fractal. There's a bunch of devices that are in this territory, but they're big. And getting around New York City or flying nowadays, it's like having the least you can helps. Baggage is expensive and just having to deal with the whole thing. So I try to travel lighter. I have a small Gator pedal board. I try to fit everything I need for a gig on that one small pedal board as opposed to one of the custom built bigger pedal boards I had in an anvil case, or actually I had a Pelican case. I stopped using the Pelican case because that wasn't easy to lug around New York uh, without a cab. And again, cabs are expensive. So now I've switched to this small Gator pedal board with the Iridium on it. And then I also travel with this Rolls headphone preamp in order to make sure that I can hear myself. So whether I'm using the Iridium or not, I have the rolls to be able to connect to the amplifier uh, microphone. So if there's a microphone and a guitar amplifier, I can take a feed from that. And then I also have the headphone amplifier to mix in the monitor mix. This works with the Iridium too. So the Iridium would just replace the microphone from the guitar amp going to the rolls. So either one of those works. I recommend this to a lot of bands that are practicing too. Rehearsal rooms, what happens to singers a lot of times, they can't hear themselves no matter what. You turn yourself up, it starts feeding back. It's really hard to communicate and practice in rehearsal rooms. They often don't sound good acoustically and it just turns into soup and it, it wears 
singers out and they sometimes end up messing up their voices. So if a whole band can get on in-ears in a rehearsal and operate this way, they're, they're playing their amps at lower volumes or they're using a device like the Iridium, then I think band rehearsals go a lot more effectively because everybody can hear each other well and they're going to know a bit more about what they're going to sound like coming out through a PA. So you can either do this by investing in a digital board, which isn't ridiculously expensive, by the way. And if you could take it with you to gigs and they could just patch you feeds so that you can then just cue in your headphone mix and whatever gig you're on, that could be a really powerful tool for, for bands and making sure that they know that they're getting the same sounds from every gig and are balanced. Uh, it's not just something that you can use on stage though. So that's why I was talking about the rehearsal room. What a great way to practice to ensure communication. And one cool thing I didn't even talk about too is one thing you could do is there are these little kill boxes that you can get from microphones. And basically when you press the button, it'll mute the microphone, but it's um, basically it'll just mute the microphone. You can have it set up so it mutes the microphone going to the front of the house. Now, why would you want this? Well, because you can mute the microphone going to the front of the house, but you could talk to the rest of the band instead of having to yell across the stage or try to hope the other band members reading your lips or giving a hand signal. Just simply mute it and say, hey, we're going to jump into this song next and we're going to count it off and we're going to go directly right into it. And you can let the music go and then kick it, the, the mic back in just to the band and go one, two, three, four, bam. You could just, just go right into the song. It makes it quick and easy for when you're playing gigs when everybody hasn't had a lot of rehearsal time together. It allows you to communicate on stage and whether if somebody happens to get lost or there's an issue going on somewhere, people can communicate as it's happening on stage instead of being completely cut off, which has been really positive on some gigs. Really like when the band leader especially has a, a kill option for their microphone so that they could send it to basically it, it, it like cuts the signal going to the PA, but then it sends it out another microphone cable that goes to its own channel that then is only routed to the, the headphone mix. So then every time you do that, it's just going right to the headphone mix, which has been helpful because people have been able to call out audibles. Uh, we've been able to create cool jams and transitions. A lot of major bands like Dave Matthews bands have been doing this for years. They can communicate with each other a lot on stage. They're talking all the time to each other without the audience hearing it could be a real powerful tool. Uh, people will sing tighter harmonies when they're on in ears. And there's just so many positives about them. And now all of a sudden I'm a poster child for something that I didn't want anything to do with for years. So it's, it's kind of funny how I've come around to it, but I've, I've had to, to adjust because of the times. And now I've finally made peace with it because now I think there's some technology and gear that actually makes it work for a lot of situations. I want to take a listen to some of the sounds on the Iridium. I'm going to plug my pedal board through it. It's what I was using last night and just show how I feel the Iridium is good at reacting. One thing I've noticed about a lot of amp sims is I've felt that the amp sim doesn't react as well to fuzz pedals. I know what it is, but you'll plug a fuzz pedal into an amp sim and it just loses some life, sounds too brittle, something doesn't happen. But the Iridium, if I'm plugging the Seeker Electric Effects MK1 into it or Gibson Maestro FZ-1A or the Sunface uh, Germanium or um, Silicon from Analog Man or, you know, a big muff like the Vix Audio Rams Head 73. Any of these, like, they sound killer into the Iridium. It's, it's keeping the character of the fuzz pedal 
which often have felt a lot of sims have somehow managed to change either the dynamics or drastically change what I felt was like the EQ response of the fuzz. Let's talk about signal chain. So I'm going to start with a Gibson 335 that's going to run into the Seeker MK1. It's going to run into the Sonic Research ST9 Mini strobe tuner. It's my favorite tuner. It's the only tuner I'll use at this point. It's so good. I'm going to go into an Analog Man compressor, which I have it set pretty much like a traditional compressor. Fairly light compression, not very much, not no volume boost really, just more about gluing the sound together a little bit, not trying to control dynamics so much. It's just can, uh, just sonic cohesion. Now, the compressor I have has a couple other additional features on it, which are really awesome. One thing that's nice about the Analog Man circuit is a little less noisy than the original Ross. You keep that character. Plus, this has a, a couple of features on it that make it great for pairing with Rickenbacker 12-string guitars, which are often hard to find a great companion compression for because you lose a lot of the attack of the 12-string. And you should check out the Analog Man compressor if you really love the Roger McGuinn and Beatles 12-string tone. So I'm going to run from that into the Maxin SD9 Sonic Distortion. From there, we're going to go into a Strymon El Capi stand. It's just a delay pedal I really like to use live. I could use the favorite switch to save two settings on it, and I use modulation on it as well, so I could set it as a fast delay and get a chorus sound, and I can get nice lush delays on it and hold down the tap knob to have like endless feedback for ambient beds or drones. And then I'm going to run into the Strymon Iridium. Pretty small pedal board. I like this Gator. I'm not sure which model this Gator is. It's not the smallest one. It's like, I think the second from the smallest. It's it's a small pedal board that you can carry in a bag, but it's deeper than most and it's angled up higher than most so I could fit uh, my Strymon Ohio power supply underneath it. And there's just more space. I can squeeze a lot more pedals on than I can say the, the pedal chain, the mini ones or any of those. So I really like this board and it's, it's fairly light. Okay, so what I want to do is just play a few sounds. I'm going to start with the Marshall sound and with the, uh, I think it's the vintage 30s. Just uh, a setting I have. It's a good rock setting. set up there so if I roll the volume knob back I can get a little bit of a cleaner sound if I want more crunch I could bring up the volume knob on the guitar it's about how I set up Marshall amps I'm not a big fan of 335s or Gibson humbucker pickups in it into black panel fender amps it's just not my taste so if i switch here to the deluxe model i'll play a little bit on it and you'll you'll hear it actually does sound what i don't like about this pairing comes through in this pedal so i think it's pretty accurate
This is not the sound for me, but many of you might dig it, and that's completely cool. Now I'm going to go back to the Marshall sound, and I'm going to kick in the... Let's, let's play with the Seeker first, the Seeker Electric Effects MK1 Tone Bender. Here's without it. On. Let's roll the volume knob back on the 335 on the bridge pickup and see if the fuzz is reacting in a way that I would hope with a real amp. And it does. It sounds really great. This might be a great opportunity for us to talk about using fuzz pedals with like an overdriven amp versus clean. So I'm going to start with this Marshall sound, which is this. Let's switch to a Fender sound, a black panel deluxe sound on the Iridium. I think you can hear this it's a lot more trebly and, and bitey and not as mushy sounding so i'm going to switch to the marshall tone which has a, some gain on the the preamp of the amp it softens the sound a bit which is why a lot of guitar players love pairing fuzz pedals with overdriven amps it's nice that i have the option with this to switch between this meaning i can have this one iridium pedal on this pedal board and depending on if i'm going a fuzz route that night or a distortion route that night i have the option to be able to use uh like a, a gain staged amp or a hot amp with my fuzz tones or if i really wanted that that sort of ratty kind of buzzy sound with a clean amp like versus the saturated tone with the Marshall. I'm now using the Maxon SD9 Sonic Distortion along with the Strymon El Capistan that's using the Marshall setting on the Iridium. 
I'm going to kick in a compression pedal now. should mention that I was using a Gibson Les Paul standard for that example. Let's switch to a Telecaster now so we can hear some of the tones using the black panel Fender and Vox settings. This is a Fender 52 reissue from the early 90s with Voodoo 52 pickups and hand-wound pickups in it. I'm running into the Iridium, but I'm placing the compressor on before as well as the Al Capi stand. This is in the deluxe reverb setting, the two by 10 cabinet with uh, in the Iridium. getting subtle amounts of modulation coming from the chorus pedal because I have it on a pretty fast delay and then I have the wow and flutter all the way up. I'm going to keep the Telecaster. Now, if you turn the mids knob all the way up when it's on the black panel setting, it turns into more of a tweed vibe. So I push the gain a little bit and trying to get a little bit more of a tweed deluxe vibe happening out of it. Let's try to hear what that sounds like. Telecaster still I'm in a Vox setting. So let's hear what this sounds like. I'm still using the El Capi stand, but I turned the compressor off. I'm going to turn the compressor on. does this thing that Vox amps do when you roll your volume knob back they get really thin and almost like this telephony like effect. I'm going to start with full volume and then knock my volume back. Sounds like I need to clean my volume pot. I 
I play with the volume knob a lot in my guitar with Vox amps. Each amp circuit has their own characteristics of how the volume knob works or how the amp cleans up. And the Vox is interesting because it's not just a matter of it cleaning up and it's overdrive and saturation, but how the EQ curve changes a lot, almost gets more chimey or uh, acoustic-like when you roll your guitar volume down a bit. Let's listen to one last example using the black panel model. I'm going to use the Telecaster and the neck pickup. And I added a longer delay with some of the spring weaver built into the El Capi stand. I think what I'm really impressed with is the fact that the Iridium reacts a lot like an amplifier. All my volume knob adjustments interact with the Iridium in the same way that they would with a real amp, which is something I've always felt was lacking with a lot of other amp sims. So it can be reactionary to what I'm doing with it, whether it's fuzz pedals or when I'm riding the volume knob, dealing with the gain staging or EQ curve of the amplifier. Um, it, it just kind of puts me in a place where if I don't have an amplifier, my behaviors and the way I interact with my gear doesn't change, which I like a lot. I must say I'm, I'm pretty impressed that they were able to pull that off. I hope everybody enjoyed this episode of Anatomy of Guitar Tone. I know this is a very long and deep dive into the subject of in-ear monitors and using amp sims in live situations, but I feel like it's a conversation that's worth being had because things have changed a lot and this really feel that this can help a lot of musicians have better experiences playing live. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to anatomyofguitartone.com. Next week, I'll be interviewing John Paul Henry from Henry Guitar Amps, talking about his experience and history and what amps he's building these days. If you're looking for guitar lessons, composition lessons, music theory, bass, drum lessons, feel free to reach out and inquire about that. I love teaching all of those instruments and as well as engineering and composition and production. I have a lot of people that have been studying music recently and learning the ins and outs of Logic or Ableton or Lunar Pro Tools and looking to take their engineering or uh, understanding of how to use a DAW for their own creative purposes a little deeper with a more structured format so they're not randomly piecing information together from YouTube videos. So feel free to reach out and talk to me about those and hope everybody has a great week.